Chapter One of Niels Klim's Journey Under the Ground. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winterout. Niels Klim's Journey Under the Ground by Baron Ludwig Holberg. Translated by John Gierlau. Chapter One The Author's Descent to the Abyss. In the year 1664, after graduating at the Academy of Copenhagen in theology and philosophy, I prepared to return to my fatherland, and took passage in a ship bound for the city of Bergen in Norway. I had been furnished with brilliant testimonials from both faculties, and wanted only money, a fate common to Norwegian students, who generally return home with empty purses from the Temple of the Muses. We had a good wind, and in three days arrived at my native town, Bergen. I occupied myself now in expanding my knowledge of natural philosophy, and for practice, geologically examining the neighboring mountains. On the top of the most interesting of these mountains, interesting I mean to a student, was a remarkable cave which the inhabitants of the town called Florian. From its mouth, a mild and not unpleasant air issues at certain periods, as though the cave inhaled the breeze and gently sighed it forth again. The learned in Bergen, especially the celebrated Abelin and Edward, had longed to examine it, but these latter, from their great age, being unable to perform so arduous a feat, used every occasion to induce the young and adventurous to attempt the exploration. Instigated, and it was a foolish, and I might say a wicked resolution, instigated, I say, not less by the encouragement of these great men than by my own inclination, I determined to descend into the cave. The longer I thought of the matter, the firmer I became. I prepared everything needful for the expedition, and on a Thursday, at the morning twilight, departed from the city. I started thus early, because I desired to finish my labors before dark, and make a report the same evening. How little did I then dream, that like another Phaeton, I should be driven headlong through the air, and precipitated to another globe, there to ramble for the space of ten years, before I should see my friends and native land again. The expedition took place in the year 1665. Accompanied by four men to carry the necessary implements, and assist in letting me down, I ascended the mountain. Arrived at the top, near the fatal cave, we sat down to breakfast. Now for the first time, my heart began to faint, as though it foreboded my coming misfortune. But in a moment, my half-extinguished courage blazed again. I fixed a rope around my body, stood on the edge of the cave, and commended my soul to God. Ordering the men to veer the rope steadily, and to hold when I cried out, I took a boat-hook in my right hand, and glided into the abyss. Aided by the pole, I was enabled to keep clear of the jutting points of rock that would have impeded my progress, as well as have wounded me. I was somewhat anxious about the rope, for it rubbed hard against the rocks at the top, and in fact I had scarcely descended twenty to thirty feet when it gave way, and I tumbled with strange quickness down the abyss, armed like Pluto with a boat-hook, however, in place of a scepter. Enveloped by thick darkness, I had been falling about a quarter of an hour when I observed a faint light, and soon after a clear and bright shining heaven. I thought in my agitation that some countercurrent of air had blown me back to earth. The sun, moon, and stars appeared so much smaller here than to people on the surface 
that I was at a loss with regard to my whereabout. I concluded that I must have died, and that my spirit was now about to be carried to the blessed dwellings. I immediately conceived the folly of this conclusion, however, when I found myself armed with a boat-hook, and dragging behind me a long strip of rope. Well knowing that neither of these were needful to land me in paradise, and that the celestial citizens would scarcely approve of these accessories, with which I appeared, in the manner of the giants of old, likely to attack heaven and eject the gods from there. Finally a new light glimmered in my brain. I must have got into the subterranean firmament. This conclusion decided the opinion of those who insist that the earth is hollow, and that within its shell there is another, lesser world, with corresponding suns, planets, stars, etc., to be well grounded. The result proved that I guessed right. The rapidity of my descent, continually augmented for a long time, now began to decrease gradually. I was approaching a planet which I had from the first seen directly before me. By degrees it grew larger and larger, when, penetrating the thick atmosphere which surrounded it, I plainly saw seas, mountains, and dales on its surface. As the bold bird between the billow's top and mountain's summit sweeps around, the muscle-clothed rock with light wings sports on the foam, my body hovered. I found now that I did not hang in the atmosphere, buoyed up by the strong current of which I have spoken, but that the perpendicular line of my descent was changed to a circle. I will not deny that my hair rose upon my head in fear. I knew not but that I might be metamorphosed to a planet or to a satellite, to be turned around in an eternal whirl. Yet my courage returned, as I became somewhat accustomed to the motion. The wind was gentle and refreshing. I was but little hungry or thirsty, but recollecting there was a small cake in my pocket, I took it out and tasted it. The first mouthful, however, was disagreeable, and I threw it from me. The cake not only remained in the air, but to my great astonishment began to circle about me. I obtained at this time a knowledge of the true law of motion, which is that all bodies, when well balanced, must move in a circle. I remained in the orbit in which I was at first thrown three days. As I continually moved about the planet nearest to me, I could easily distinguish between night and day, for I could see the subterranean sun ascend and descend. The night, however, did not bring with it darkness as it does with us. I observed that on the descent of the sun, the whole heavens became illuminated with a peculiar and very bright light. This I ascribed to the reflection of the sun from the internal arch of the earth. But just as I began to fancy myself in the near presence of the immortal gods, about to become myself a new heavenly light, and wondered at as a brilliant star, behold, a horrible winged monster appeared, who seemed to threaten me with instant destruction. When I saw this object in the distance, I supposed it to be one of the celestial signs. But when it came near, I perceived it to be an enormous eagle, which followed in my wake as if about to pounce upon me. I observed that this creature noticed me particularly, but could not determine whether as a friend or enemy. Had I reflected, I should not have wondered that a human being swinging round in the air with a boat-hook in his hand and a long rope dragging behind him like a tail, should attract the attention of even a brute creature. My uncommon figure gave, as I afterwards understood, occasion for strange reports to the inhabitants on my side of the planet. The astronomers regarded me as a comet 
with a very long tail. The superstitious thought my appearance to be significant of some coming misfortune. Some draftsmen took my figure, as far as they could descry it, so that when I landed I found paintings of myself and engravings taken from them and hawked about. But to return. The eagle flew toward me and attacked me with its wings very furiously. I defended myself as well as I could with my boat hook, and even vigorously, considering my unstable situation. At last, when he attempted to grapple with me, I thrust the hook in between his wings so firmly that I could not extricate it. The wounded monster fell with a terrible cry to the globe beneath, and holding the hook, I, well tired of my pendant attitude, was dragged to the planet. At first my descent was violent, but the increasing thickness of the atmosphere as I approached the planet may be sink with an easy and soft fall to the earth. Immediately on touching it, the eagle died of its wounds. It was now night, or rather the sun was down, for it was not dark. I could see clearly to read the papers I had in my pocket. The light, as I have already said, comes from the firmament or internal shell of our earth, half of it being brightened at one time like our moon. The only difference between night and day is that the absence of the sun makes the weather a little colder. End of chapter 1 Recording by Alan Winteroud, boomcoach.blogspot.com.